The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am unworthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Text is the gospel lesson Vickers read to us just a few moments ago. In this season of promise, we have witnessed the arrival of our King, Jesus, on the cross that marks the beginning of God's new creation, the rescue and the redemption of the world, the establishment of the kingdom of God. That's the world put right, starting right now through our faith in Him and forever when King Jesus comes again. We have prepared for His arrival by remembering exactly who this king is, our beautiful savior, the king of creation, the son of God, son of man, and meeting him in the wilderness of our surrender where he fills in the craters of our sins and levels off the high places of our pride. Today we find ourselves once again in the wilderness with John the Baptist This time we do so through the eyes of the Apostle John. Now, whenever you switch Gospels, that is, these accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, there are four of them at the very beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When you switch from one to the other, it's important that you take a quick look at who the author is, why he wrote, and to whom he was writing. This author was one of Jesus' first followers. He was the third part of that inner ring of Peter, James, and John. He himself, it seems clear, had gone out. He had heard John the Baptist preach. He had surely been baptized by John, and he had witnessed the events of our text today. And then he had followed Jesus when he heard the Baptist proclaim, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Apostle John 
is the only one of the original 12 disciples who lived to see old age, who was not martyred, that is, executed for his preaching and his teaching about Jesus. He was the last of the four writers to record his account of Jesus' life, and he tells us at the end of his gospel why he wrote, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name's words that you just sang right before the gospel. One respected Bible scholar and theologian concludes that John wrote his gospel primarily to persuade fellow Jews who had been scattered across the world, known as the diaspora, because they had been dispersed here and there for all sorts of reason to convince them to believe in Jesus. Now, it's not too hard to imagine this, this diaspora, the diasporas of the Jews, some of whom were certainly burned out on religion altogether and had moved on out into the world, moved from the idea of any sort of promised Messiah. Others are certainly faithful and religious Jews practicing all of the rituals of their faith, but doing so as the end-all and the be-all of God's presence in their lives. And what you might call spiritualizing Jews, who had reduced the promise of the Messiah to a concept that was disconnected from a flesh-and-blood Savior. Now, we don't know exactly how old the Apostle John was when he wrote, but I imagine him to be at least my age, or maybe a little older. For you see, after preaching and teaching for 35 years, I find myself thinking about those who have, who have moved on from St. Luke's, perhaps moved into another congregation or maybe moved on from any active or regular participation in any community of Jesus' followers, maybe even moved on from believing at all. I think about us. I think about the crowd every Sunday, including myself. And to be honest, sometimes I, I wonder if we're not just all going through the religious motions. I wonder about the de-churched and the under-churched as they have come to be known in our time. Those who say they are spiritual but not religious who may or may not make their way to worship next weekend as a semi-annual tradition, a sort of nostalgic pilgrimage. A large percentage of the people that you will meet and interact with on a day-to-day -day basis are part of a Christian diaspora. People who have been scattered here and there for various and sundry reasons. And almost all of them have heard of Jesus. And yet what they think of him is very much dependent on what they see in and hear from you and me. 
You see, we're the living testimony of who Jesus is and what he has done for the world. That's what I want to talk to you about today, that our lives are to be living testimonies of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And John the Baptist stands before us to both inform and to inspire that testimony. Now, the word testimony and witness both translate the same Greek word. And we have heard this one before. The word is martyria, from which comes the English word martyr. And it carries with it the idea of a whole life investment of total commitment to tell everyone about who Jesus is with our words and our attitudes and our actions. Look, we know a little bit about John the Baptist, mostly from the writer of the third gospel in the New Testament, Luke who was a historian and conducted in-depth interviews with those who had been eyewitnesses to the events of Jesus' life. We're going to hear more from him next Sunday on Christmas Eve. Luke introduces us to, to John the Baptist's mother, whose name was Elizabeth, who just also happened to be a cousin of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Elizabeth, we know, was married to a man named Zechariah, who was a priest in the temple in Jerusalem. And as a couple, they were on in years, and they were childless, and they were too old to have children. When Zechariah was visited by an angel while serving in the temple, and the angel announced that he and Elizabeth were going to have a son, a miracle baby, sent from God to bear witness, to testify concerning Jesus. You might remember Zechariah didn't believe the angel's message and was struck dumb, unable to speak for the nine months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, something I suspect that many of us who have been fathers may have had to learn the hard way, that when their wives are pregnant, sometimes it's best to just keep your mouth shut. Now, the Bible allows us to use our imaginations carefully and piously to think and imagine John growing up in a devout, biblically educated home. And at some point, his father, his mother sat him down and they told him about his birth and about the angels at announcement and about his once-in-a-lifetime role in God's plan to rescue and to restore the whole creation. Then, well, let's see, there was high school at Jerusalem High He played a little football, ran some track. He wasn't the top in his class, but he was near. He was very active in his youth group at the local synagogue and was always fascinated with the Old Testament stories of God's work in and through his people. And it was in there somewhere that his call to preach the good news, to tell people all about Jesus started to take shape because at family reunions, he and Jesus had spent time together and dreamt about the future. That's my imagination. But 
God is preparing us to be witnesses, to be living testimonies through all of the ordinary, everyday experiences and seasons of our lives. And the very first thing you must do in order to be invested, to be totally committed, to be a witness, to give your testimony, to be a faithful martyr for Jesus is answer the question that was put to John the Baptist. Who are you? Pastor Tig did an interesting little research as we were preparing our study this week about Messiah complexes. According to WebMD, if you have a Messiah complex, you may feel like you are destined or called to save others. You may feel responsible for helping others. You may have good intentions if you try to come to the rescue at your expense, or, or you may try to play savior for more self-serving reasons, such as a desire for praise or for power or a sense of self-worth. I am not the Christ. Surely, each and every one of you knows this about yourself. But it reminds me of something that my mom likes to to say, I'm not a doctor, but I play one at home. I am not the Christ, but I like to play as if I am my own Savior. And yours too, whenever... It serves my ego, and it helps me to feel useful and important. See, some of us, some of the times, are prone to think way more highly of ourselves than we ought. But not always, and and certainly not all of us. Some go around thinking way too little of themselves, always putting themselves down, self-deprecating, and they call it humility. I came across a a quote from St. Augustine this week who said, there's something about humility that appeals to my ego. Sometimes uh, the protest of unworthiness is simply a ploy to elicit praise. Look, I'm not much of a preacher, but I'm doing the best that I can with what God has given me. And such humility is simply pride in disguise. And there are, of course, some who are genuinely ashamed of their life choices or have had traumatic life experiences that have left them flattened, truly feeling and believing that they are worthless. But any way you slice it, failing to truly know who you are damages your witness, damages your testimony, and the one and only solution is to know without doubt, without confusion, who Jesus is. Look, John the Baptist tied his identity to the promise of God recorded in the history of God's Old Testament people. So immersed was John in the story of God that with the help and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he could see his life as part of that story. 
So he marvels. He marvels at the message of the prophet Isaiah, chapters 40 through 66, where the prophet announces good news for Jerusalem, which had been destroyed by the Babylonians and its inhabitants carried off into captivity. As Isaiah looked through those events, he saw what lay still further in the future, what John the Baptist was now experiencing firsthand. And beyond that, there was still a a greater redemption than simply returning to the city of Jerusalem and rebuilding it, but there was a a redemption that would be accomplished by, by the servant of the Lord in Isaiah 52 and 53, who is now present in John's midst. The one who would be despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and griefs. The one who would be pierced for our transgressions and and crushed for our iniquities. The one whose chastisement would bring peace by whose wounds we are healed. And then through that suffering and death, Isaiah saw in the far distance, the end of the story, so that in chapter 65 and 66 of his prophecy, he could write, for behold, I create new heavens and new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Look, the apostle John's testimony The one who has witnessed and wrote down John the Baptist's testimony. John writes in such a way that he reveals little by little through his gospel exactly who this Jesus is. You might call it a progressive revelation. One that the first disciples were mostly clueless about until it finally broke through at Jesus' resurrection and the great events of Pentecost, and their witness could not be silenced even by martyrdom. Look, it still works that way in our lives. Immersed in the story of God, which I'm sorry requires more than a 20-minute sermon once a week. It takes reading, it takes studying, it takes talking about this progressive revelation of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation until Jesus becomes more and more clear and visible to us. Look, I've heard the testimony of more than a few over the years for whom the penny finally dropped, the light finally went on in their hearts, and they were awakened to the power of life in Christ. And sometimes they they wonder why they didn't see it, why didn't they get it before, and then they are tempted to draw the conclusion that there must have been something wrong with their baptism as an infant, something wrong with the church that they grew up in, But I don't think so. I think that everything that has happened to you and to me up to this very moment in time has been part of God's progressive revelation of himself to bring you to exactly where you are this morning. 
Look, I think progressive revelation speaks to exactly what God is up to in your life and in mine. In my case, and I suspect in many of yours, we became witnesses to Jesus' identity by the work of the Holy Spirit in our baptism as you witnessed it again today. And then through the prayers, the nurture, the instruction given by parents and sponsors and the whole community of faith, the outline of Jesus was colored in as we grew and matured. There are many, many more dramatic stories. But that doesn't make yours any less important. And maybe it's this distinction between being a witness and bearing a witness that is the unfolding revelation of Jesus that can only come when you read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the Word of God recorded in the Bible. And if you are satisfied with a black and white outline, or if you think coloring is for Sunday school children, You will not become a bold yet humble witness to the world. The Lamb of God is Jesus. Like the Passover Lamb in the Old Testament, His death on the cross sets us free from slavery, from death, from the power of the devil and all of the evil that He is spewing out into this world and into our lives. What's your story? Look, I need you to spend some time this week thinking carefully about how you have come to this moment in time. Maybe even write down the progression of his revelation in your life. When has it dawned on you a little bit more clearly that there is more to life than the here and now? that your heart is longing for something more than a Merry Christmas and another Happy New Year. Then I need you to practice. Prepare and then practice how you might tell your story to different people in different ways depending on where they are and what they've experienced. Practice won't make you perfect, but it will make you better. When you are set free from thinking about yourself by knowing who Jesus is, you can become genuinely curious about others, listening to them in amazement at what God has done to bring them to this very moment in time for you to share your story in a way that always points only to Jesus. Our lives are living testimonies of what Jesus has done for us. There was a man. There was a woman. There was a boy. There was a girl. Sent from God in their baptism. Whose name was Wally. Or Mark. Or Jim. Or Linda. Or Karen. Or Susan, insert your name. 
Each came as a witness to bear witness about the light, about Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that all might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the King, the Son of God, and that by believing they might have life. That's real life, people. That is the life that every human being on this planet is desperately searching for. Life in his name. Amen. Now the peace that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in this true faith unto life everlasting. Amen. Well, if you couldn't guess it, this is your weekly awakening question. How are you a living testimony of what Jesus has done for you? How is your life a living testimony of what Jesus has done for you? Spend some time thinking about it. Maybe write it down. Maybe practice saying it to someone. Now the, verse, the pace, now the peace that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in this true faith unto life everlasting. Amen.